How many times have you felt like you walked alone? I'm sure throughout life, maybe some of you feel that even now. But the reality is, because Emmanuel, a God with us, you will never walk alone. It's such good news. Amen. You may be seated. If you have a Bible, if you'll turn with me to the very back of the Bible, we are in part eight of a sermon series that we are calling The Triumph of the Lamb. And the Lamb is Jesus, the Lamb of God who has taken away our sins. And we're looking at the first five chapters of this incredible conclusion to God's Word, uh, the book of Revelation. And we're focusing specifically on the seven churches that are mentioned in, in, in time Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey. And what is the message that God has for, the, for them? Because this is God's Word. And the reality is, is God has a message not just for them a long time ago, but he has a message for us. This morning we've made it all the way to the church in Philadelphia, uh, quite different than the one uh, known maybe up in uh, the state of Pennsylvania, um, where I'm sure it gets the name from Philadelphia. But Philadelphia is only one of two churches that has no rebuke. I mean, this is a favorite church. This is a beloved church, which I love. They're not very big they're not very powerful, and they got some bad things happening around them, but they've been faithful, and they've been true. And the reality is there's so much to learn from them. And it's not just that we want to mimic, or watch this, it's not that we want to just be like the church in Philadelphia, but what we want to do is realize, what did Jesus do in the church of Philadelphia that allowed them to be faithful? And how do we see Jesus that way? So the goal isn't try to be like the church in Philadelphia. The goal is to understand the gospel and the beauty of what Christ has done for them and the open door that was then and now for us. In the late 1800s, uh, there was a pastor from Kansas named Charles Shelton, and he coined the phrase, what would Jesus do? Uh, he really kind of became famous for that. He wrote... A, a book, a, a story that kind of told a narrative uh, called In His Steps. And In His Steps and What Would Jesus Do kind of became a popular Christian book at the time. And then in the 1990s, as things have a way of cycling, do they not have a way of kind of coming back around, especially in Christian circles? In the 1990s, the Christian world uh, kind of rediscovered Shelton's book and they started what became known as the WWJD movement. Do you remember it? The WWJD bracelets became popular, and it was, what would Jesus do? I mean, who, who, who's a uh, man or woman enough to admit, anybody have a WWJD bracelet? There are several of us that wore those bracelets at the time. Uh, it was going through, what would Jesus do? Well, as I mentioned, the church in Philadelphia, a small little church, Scripture is going to say they didn't really have a lot of power. They didn't have a lot of authority. They didn't have a, a, a lot in the world's eyes. But they had an amazing impact on the world. And it's encouraging to know that sometimes uh, big, powerful things come in small packages. But I want you to know it was not because the church in Philadelphia was wearing WWJD bracelets that made them so powerful. Their success was not trying to answer the question, what would Jesus do? It seems like a good question for a church to ask. But they live their lives empowered because what Jesus has done. Now watch this. It wasn't so much what would Jesus do, but they live their lives empowered by what has Jesus done. 
if they had a bracelet at the time that they were wearing that was empowering them, that was making them a tremendously successful church in the midst of a very dark pagan society, their bracelet probably would have been WHJD. What has Jesus done? You see, the church in Philadelphia was not just trying to emulate Jesus's lifestyle per se, although, you know, there's, there's some nobility to that. But think about that. That's not why Jesus came. The good news of the gospel isn't that he is a moral example that we are to follow. I mean, it's Jesus, right? Who can follow Jesus? I mean, who, who can be like he was? I mean, he's God's son in the flesh. And so the goal, remember, the goal in Christianity is not just for us to emulate a moral behavior of what Jesus has done. No, we have some radical good news because if God came just to set a standard for us, if God came in his son in flesh just to show us that this is the way you are to live, that's not good news. That's exhausting. I mean, how do you try to live toward perfection? Only he could do it. The radical good news is what Jesus has done for us through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. You see, so here's the key. And the key is going to be key in this passage, in every passage. This is the key of what Jesus has done. The church in Philadelphia in Revelation 5, uh, again, small and weak, but faithful and true, all because of the reality, because they got it. They got what Jesus had done. And because of what Jesus has done, and watch this, he had opened a door, it says, that no one else could shut. So there was something that Jesus did that opened up. He opened up heaven. He opened up the kingdom of God. He opened up a whole new way to relate to him that Jesus had opened a door that no one else could shut and what Jesus shuts, no one else could open. And so then you have this little church, not with a lot of power, not with a lot of authority. Because of an open door, they had a great ministry. It was exciting and it should be exciting for us too. And here's the reality. There's a little church. There's a little new church plant that door is still open and that we too can have incredible effective ministry if we understand what Jesus has done and we respond to that reality because the door is still open. You see, the key to understanding this passage in Revelation and the church of uh, uh, Philadelphia, uh, uh, again, there's only one of two, two churches without a rebuke. It was a favorite church. is to know who Jesus is. Do you know him? for how he reveals himself to us. And do you know really what Jesus has done specifically for you? See, that's the key. You want to know the key to the Bible? You want to know the key to your life? You got to know who Jesus is. You now know what Jesus has done and is doing for us. That is what's key, not just in this passage, but in every passage. Let me just get on a little sidekick here. This incredible book of 66 uh, chapters of two testaments, that was written over a long period of time with two primary languages of Hebrew and Greek. It has one hero. It has one champion. It has one narrative. And it's a story of how God loved you and loved me through the work of his son. And it's really knowing who he is and what he has done that makes this make sense and what makes this make sense. So this is of, of utmost importance for us to understand this reality. So we're going to look at three things this morning. Who the risen lamb, this triumphant lamb, Jesus is. We're going to look at who the risen lamb, what Jesus has done. 
and we're going to look at what the uh, risen land Jesus has, has promised. And so who he is, what he has done, and what he has promised. Now, here's what I can promise you. Not because I have anything of worth, but because God's word is amazing. If you let the God's spirit speak to you, and you let God's word open up to you, and you can see by God's grace who he is and what he's done and what he promises, I promise you, you can't leave here the same. I promise you, you have reason to jump up and sing God's amazing grace and into our lives. So let's pick up God's word exactly where we left off last week in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. We're going to read verses 7 through 13 in God's holy and errant word. Hear the word of the Lord. As is the custom, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word uh, about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trouble, uh, trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. To the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven in my own name. He who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The flower fades, the uh, grass withers, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. and We thank you for this little church in Philadelphia. And God, we thank you that though they were small, they were faithful. And they were faithful because of who Jesus is and what he has done. And that Jesus had opened a door of opportunity for them and a door of opportunity for us. Oh God, may you come with power and speak through a broken sinner like me. Oh God, would you give us the ears to hear your voice? Would you give us the, the minds to understand your word? Would you give us the hearts that would embrace your truth? And would you give us feet that would walk in the manner worthy of your name? God, the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain this incredible good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior, Jesus? And it's in his holy and matchless name that we pray. Amen. You see, the first thing we're going to see is who this risen lamb Jesus is and, and what he actually holds. And what he holds is an important key, the key of David. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And the reason that he holds it is because of who he is. And it's going to start off and says that he is the Holy One. Now, 
you've heard about Jesus being the Holy One, but this is a very interesting phrase. He's holy, he's set apart, he's righteous, he's without sin. But the Holy One in Scripture was a title that God himself had. This was the name of God. This is how God described himself. And so when it says that Jesus is the Holy One, he's saying this is Jesus who is God Almighty. Uh, Psalm 89, 18 is going to talk about the, the Holy One, this Lord of Israel. And throughout Scripture, the Holy One is a name for God. And it's reminding us about this Jesus, that he is fully God, that he is the Holy One. He is set apart unlike any other. But it goes on to say he's not just the Holy One, that he is the true one. And when it comes to saying that he's the true one, there's two things you got to see when it says that he's the true one. The first one is this. It's the true one like he's the real deal. This is the real deal. I mean, this is truly the long-awaited Messiah. This is the promised one of God who was to come. This is the one that we should look for no other. Uh, this is the one that God said will come and, and who will defeat God's and our enemy, even sin and death. This is the one that's going to bridge the gap between sinful man and a holy God. This is the one. He is the true one. Now, what was probably happening to the church in Philadelphia was this. We read this like there were folks who said that they were Jews, but they really weren't Jews. And it was a weird thing like they're in the synagogue of Satan. And this has happened again uh, earlier on uh, in the church of Smyrna. And so what is happening is here is that these Christians who have said, we believe that Jesus is the Holy One of God. We believe that Jesus is the true Messiah to come. And we say that Jesus is Lord. And because of that reality, they were kicked out of the synagogue. And because of that reality, a door was closed to them. And a door was closed saying, you're crazy. You believe that this Jesus that was crucified on a Roman cross, you believe that this Jesus, this, this carpenter from Nazareth, that he is the real Messiah? What good comes out of Nazareth? And yet by God's grace, they saw the truth. That he was the Holy One. That he was the true one. Uh, the real deal Messiah. But the word true here, it's an interesting way that he uses true. It's also the truthful one. That not only is he the real deal, but he's truthful. And here's what's really, really important for us. Because as Jesus is the holy one and the true one, watch this, you can't miss this. He is the only one who is able to fulfill all of God's requirements. You see, God is a holy God and he's come to us and says, listen, I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. But here's how you are to be my people. There's a certain way of living. There's a certain way of acting. And if you are able to fulfill this, what's called a covenant, he enters into a covenant relationship with us. And if you are able to fulfill these requirements, I'm going to make you my people. Have you ever read through scripture and see all the promises of God? There's a lot of them. But have you ever read the requirements of God? Oh my gosh, there's a ton of them. So when it says that Jesus is the Holy One and the True One, here's what's amazing what it's saying. It's saying is, is Jesus is the one who, who enters into a relationship with us, but Jesus is the one, watch this, who, who fulfills all the requirements of the Holy God. You see, uh, God makes a relationship with Adam and says, Adam, I'm going to have a relationship with you, and all you have to do is obey me, and if you obey me, you're going to live. He messed up. And that death became our death, and that separation was our separation. 
But it's true that God says, if there's one who comes along who obeys and lives, I'll give him life. And there's this covenant of grace that God says, I'm going to send one who's going to come and defeat all of your enemies. And what it says that Jesus is the real and true one, it's saying that all that God has required of us, his holy son has done for us. I want that to settle in. God is holy. God is separate. I mean, God, God can't tolerate sin. God's, God's bar has to be met. Most people you know will say, well, God's merciful. God forgives us. He does, and he is. But most people blow right past the fact that God is the holy one, and he's a just one. And listen, God is not going to say, you know what? All that stuff about obeying, it doesn't really matter. Because it's not a big deal. I'm just going to forgive you, and, and we're just going to pretend that the bad stuff didn't happen. God can't do that. The only way for God to maintain holiness, justice, and mercy is someone had to fulfill what God required. And so here comes the true one, the true Israelite, the true son, the only begotten son, who comes and, and fulfills all that we have failed to fulfill. And, but he does more. He not only... He not only fills up the positive side of the ledger, in God's economy, it says, for those of you who have broken the law, the negative side, the soul that sinneth shall surely die. The wages of sin is death. And so he fulfills the promises and says, yeah, I'm going to be the obedient one and fulfill the law every jot and tittle, but I'm also going to become the curse. I'm going to hang on a cross and I'm going to absorb God's wrath and I'm going to take the negative this is the gospel, is that Jesus as the Holy One and the True One came to perfectly fulfill what God requires of us and to perfectly absorb what God's wrath poured out on us for sinners. So what does this mean? Holy cow, it, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. This is what it means, is that you and I in Christ Jesus, this is incredible, we owe God's law nothing because it's been perfectly fulfilled. I mean, that's amazing. Um, we are declared not guilty. Oh, how could that be? We are guilty of sin. We are declared not guilty because the Holy One, the, 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 the true one, has fulfilled it for us. And in God's economy, he took him and he put him on a cross and he poured out his wrath because of our sin and he, he credited to our account his righteousness. So, the beautiful thing about the gospel is this, is that God doesn't love you anymore because of your moral lifestyle of what you do and what you don't do. You see, God loves us because of what his son has done. And God loves us of what his son has paid on the cross for us. That he is the holy one and he is the true one. And because of that reality, he's got keys. And it says in chapter one, he's got keys to life and death. Now, only Jesus has keys to life and death. Why? Because he died and came to life. He opened up something that no one else could. And so the keys he has is to life and death. He owns it all. He's opened up paradise, but he has keys of David. Um, because he's holy and because he's true and he's the only one, and because of what he has done, he has this key of David, this messianic promise. Now, this is a direct quote from Isaiah, who lived 700 years before Jesus. In Isaiah 22, in verse 21 and 22, there is a household servant of the king, Eliakim, and it says that he had the, king of, the key of the king of David, which says what he opened, no one can shut, and what he shut, no one can open. 
but basically said that this servant in God's household gave access to the king and gave the king stuff away. So he had all this authority. But he just had an authority that pointed to the ultimate authority, that Jesus has the key to the kingdom. He has the key to open up what no one else can open. Um, and what he has opened up is heaven and the kingdom of God. So uh, this is what he has done. What is the, what was, who, who he is? He is the Holy One. He is God Almighty. He is the true one, the true Messiah. And he has fulfilled everything that God requires of us. And he absorbed God's wrath for us. Love him. Adore him. Be in awe of a God who, is, who has done all that for us. So what has he done? He's opened a door that no one can shut, and he shuts uh, what he shuts no one can open. And I love this reality. What did he open up? He opened up the door, the door to the kingdom of heaven. If you remember, way back, uh, we looked at Psalm 24 and our confession of sin. He, he opens up the ancient doors, uh, that he's opened up heaven itself, uh, that Jesus has opened up access to God, that he alone, I love it, in John chapter 10, he's going to remind us that he is the good shepherd, and he's going to say, I am the good shepherd who lays down my life for the sheep, but he also tells us in John 10, I'm the true door. I'm the gate. And he says in John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So he has this key, and in what has been opened up that no one can shut is he's opened up heaven for us. He is the way home. And he's the way home that some of our loved ones have made it home through him. That door will never be shut. So he's opened up the door for us to not only enter the kingdom of God, but he's opened up the door for us to advance the kingdom of God. Now, here's what you got to hear. Have you gone through the door of Jesus by God's grace through faith? Have you entered into the kingdom of God? You don't enter in just because you were baptized. You don't enter into just because you joined a church. You enter into the kingdom of God by God's grace, through faith, through the work of his son, because he's the holy and true one with the key. Have you entered the kingdom of God by confessing the reality of your sins and embrace Christ as Savior. If so, here's the beautiful thing, that door will never be shut. You're in, and you'll never get cast out, and, and, and you will forever be loved. That is amazing. The kingdom of God has, has been opened to us. Enter through the door. Don't miss it. Enter today. But there's more, and I know that when he's talking about the church in Philadelphia, it's not just an open door of salvation has been opened up to you, which is so important. But he's saying this, an open door to advance the kingdom of God has been opened up to you. Because of what is open, I know you're small and weak, but you must advance the kingdom of God. How do we do that? It's the church being the church. The way we love God, the way we love our neighbors. We're to enter through two doors, a door of salvation and then a door of service to our God. And now to give our lives away for him. Uh, which door have you walked through? Uh, we are here um, because of an open door that God has given to King's Chapel. We're here, and listen, our community should be different because we're here. Because we're here and there's an open door that we should be loving them in, in God's name and serving them any way we can. And saying, where are you hurting? Where are your needs? Let the church be the church and come alongside you because there's a door that's open to advance Christ's kingdom. But there's a door that's open not only for the kingdom, and I love this, and not only to advance Christ's kingdom with our words and our deeds, 
trying to bless our community for the good of our great neighbor. But there's been a door open to God's heart. When he's talking about that synagogue that was against um, the Christians, he says, I'm going to show them how much I love you. (laughs) I just can't get away with that. I'm going to show them how much I love you. I want the world to know that you're mine and you're beloved. 1 John 3, 1, see what love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. God wants to show the world that he's crazy about his church, wants to show the world that he thinks that you're his bride, and he loves us. God loves us, and the world will learn that he loves us. And this is all by God's grace, all through the Holy One and the True One. And he basically is saying this, I'm going to make your enemies your brothers. Those in the synagogue of Satan, those who are persecuting you, those who shut a door in your face, guess what? They're going to come and bow alongside of you. They're going to bow down to you. Now, does this mean that they're going to come serve us? No, this means they're going to come serve Jesus. Now, here's what's really cool. This is a fulfillment, again, of Isaiah. Isaiah 60, verse 14 says this. It says, okay, Israelites, these Gentiles that are messing with you, they're going to come kneel beside you. And when you see that this is fulfilled, watch this. This is crazy. It is actually the the that thought they were Jews, who weren't true Jews because they didn't embrace Jesus, kneeling beside the Gentiles. The fulfillment of this is like your enemies will come. And the gospel, those who hate you, you love them in Christ's name, not all of them, but some are going to come to Christ. The way you live your life, when things go bad and you still have faith, when you have a hope that won't give up, when they see Jesus in your life, guess what? Those who make fun of you and mock you, some are going to be saved. And some are going to come to know you. Um, They were probably thrown out of the synagogue, um, but they were going to realize that those who hate them are going to be won for the gospel through them. And then he says, I will keep you from the uh, the hour of trial that is coming. And there's a lot of, like, what what does that mean? And here's what I can say. The Greek could be one of two things. Either God is saying, I'm going to keep you from trouble, or I'm going to keep you through trouble. And I can promise you that God will do one of either, one one of the two. I love that scripture says in Psalm 34 that many are the trials and afflictions of the righteous. If you're a believer, you got stuff coming. It's going to be hard. But God will deliver us from them all. He will deliver us from all of these, these trials. So he loves us. He's opened up a door for us. He's opened up his heart for us. He will keep uh, our enemies. Uh, uh, and they'll come along and worship with us. And he'll keep us from trial. But lastly, what has the risen Lord promised? I love this. I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God, and never shall you go out of it. In Psalm 84, he says, I, you know, better is just being a doorkeeper. I'd rather be a doorkeeper with God than in the tent of the wicked. But God is saying to us, listen, I love you so much that I'm not just going to make you a doorkeeper. I'm going to make you a pillar. I'm going to make you important. And I'm going to make you a pillar I'm going to lavish life, uh, love upon you. And never will you go out of it. You know what God is saying? He's saying this to, to us. There's coming a time that we'll never be out of God's presence. God says, I'm going to be with you, and I'll never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. You're always going to be with me. And then he's going to say these promises three times over about my God. He's going to lavish them on us over and over and over on us. 
He says, I will write on you the name of my God. Think about that. God is saying, I'm going to carve my name on you. How cool is that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to carve my name on you. And all I could think of is, is Buzz Lightyear and Toy Story. When he realized, when he looked down at his foot, and he realized that the name Andy was, was put on him, and his worth came from not trying to be Buzz Lightyear. Watch this. His worth came from the one who owned him and loved him, and the one who loved him enough to put his name upon him. And this is incredible. What God says is, I'm going to put my name, I'm going to write it upon you. Why? Because you will be mine. But there's more than that. He not only writes his name upon us, he's going to write the name of the city on us, the new Jerusalem. He's going to say, this is your citizenship. You belong to me. It's like, uh, I'm going to put my name on you. I'm going to make sure you're not going to get lost. I'm going to put the city on you. I'm going to make sure that everybody knows your address. Your address is with me. And you'll forever with me, be with me. And the end comes and the new Jerusalem comes. You're going to be there. You're going to be a pillar. You're going to be with me. And you'll never be lost. And you'll always belong. And not only that, I'm going to write my own new name on you. And I don't even know what that means. But he's basically saying, I'm going to love you so much, I can't stop pouring love on you. I can't stop giving you my name. I can't stop giving you my love. I cannot stop being, giving you my, pres- my presence. This is the gospel This is what's promised to those who conquer in Christ Jesus. You're going to be with me. You're going to be a pillar. You're going to be with me, and I'm going to have my name all over you. And I will never leave you nor forsake you, and you're going to be mine. Man, that's good news. How would we respond? If we had bracelets, we should have bracelets of WSWD. What should we do? What should we do in response to what Jesus has done? Here's what you should do. One of two things. Enter the kingdom of God today. The holy one and true one, Jesus, has opened up a way for you to be loved and known by God, forgiven and free. Embrace him as your Lord and Savior. Oh, what do we do? We advance the kingdom of God. The door is open. We got to be the church. And we got to be the church the way we love our God and love our neighbor and serve our God and, and the way we serve our neighbor and the way we use our resources to be a blessing to God. We so long for King's Chapel to be a place that the gospel is so clearly seen in word and deed and the way we love him and the way we love one another. I just, this upcoming Friday, I have a meeting with Forest City Elementary School to say, how do we bless you? We're just a new church down the street. How do we bless you? And I love the fact that there's so many ministries already you're involved with saying, how do we bless you? But we got to go into the world because a door has been opened that we got to go through to bless our great God. Well, God loves us, and he's written his name on us, and he also wants to feed us. And he feeds us with this meal, a meal that reminds us that the Holy One and the True One was broken so that we could be healed. It's a meal that reminds us that we're his, that we belong to him. And it's a meal that feeds us and strengthens us. It's a meal for you if Jesus is in your heart. It's a meal for you if you are his and been forgiven and free. To prepare our hearts to receive this meal, we're going to join our voices saying the Apostles' Creed that kind of unites us to the church in the past. Now, it's going to remind us of a few words that we don't use very often in our culture. Um, This this holy uh, Catholic church is going to talk about the universal church, that we're all just the church. It's different than the Roman Catholic church. This is saying that we believe in that reality. But what you say is to prepare your hearts to meet with our great God.